Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. Twice a week, we'll discuss the products, technology, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney turned entrepreneur, and I've spent the past eight years founding and running two startups. I attended UCLA, Go Bruins, where I spent nearly the entire first four years on a mostly engineering track before finally graduating with an econ degree in my fifth year. I've become a recognized expert in the autonomous vehicle space, and you can find me on all social media channels at Autonomous Hogue, and of course my website, markhogue.com. Today, Friday, the 1st of March, 2019, episode 86, a very special episode this, as I'm pleased to welcome to our show, Matthew Gibb, chairman of The Next Education. If that sounds familiar, that's because you might remember several months ago, we had on our show, Elena Farnsworth, also of The Next Ed. So it's a real privilege and honor to have their chairman joining us today. So Matthew's got quite a fascinating background spanning law, government, and the telecoms industry, and we're going to spend the next 30 minutes discussing his thoughts on connectivity in an autonomous vehicle world, for example, V2V, V2I, V2X. We'll dive into the logistics of connectivity, for example, is 5G truly necessary or not? We'll look a bit at geofenced applications and whether that might help smooth out and make a bit more easy the deployment of autonomous vehicles from a connectivity point of view, and we'll Wrap it up with a bit of a discussion on my proposed idea for an FAVA, Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration. So without further ado, hope you're sitting comfortably. Enjoy the next 30 minutes with Matthew Gibb, Chairman, The Next Education. Real quick, before we get started, please don't forget to head on over to YouTube, search for Autonomous Hogue, and you can catch my first ever video review, in this case, of course, a Tesla Model 3 with enhanced autopilot. Clocking in at nearly 19 minutes, it's a pretty fun thing I put together, I think you'll really enjoy it, and while you're there, please don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel so I can finally lock in a custom URL, youtube.com slash Autonomous Hogue. Thanks so much, without further ado, let's get started. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right, Matthew, hello. Hello, Mark. Well, great to have you on. Uh, thanks so much for joining. Um, so I guess uh, in the time we've got, we'll kind of run through uh, a bit of your background, uh, some of the work you've done at NextEd, and then we've got some pretty cool things to discuss involving this autonomous future, involving things like, well, connectivity, 5G, uh, and a few other cool things besides. So why don't I just hand I'm it off to you? That, uh... I bring the interesting perspective, Mark, because I'm not an engineer, but I talk like one. I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> I'd like to say that makes two of us. Perfect. <laughs> Good. Well, great. Well, I'll just hand it over to you then. Please uh, dive in with a bit of your background. So my background is it pertains to uh, autonomy and this whole world of uh, future mobility really started a, a while back. And not to say this is going to be a long introduction, but I represented the cellular industry 
to build uh, the towers in the very beginnings of uh, the cellular network back starting in 1991-92. And so I've got this real finite understanding about how spectrum works and, and how the whole concept of using broad, broadband and, and spectrum width to allow us to have greater and greater connectivity from the old analog routes and what it takes to have a network system to run it all. And you flash forward the last eight years, I was a government official, but I, my background in law and development and, and telecommunications really led me to be um, have an advantage in the sense I was in charge of the Connected Task Force here in, in um, Oakland, Michigan, which is the whole northern region of the Detroit market. And so, you know, we had 96 of the top uh, 100 tier one automotive companies here. And so being in that position really gave me a catbird seat to see what's happening both from the the auto side and then combining it with my historic background of how do you build network systems that can run all of that stuff. And it's been an interesting ride to say the least. And, and coming out of, uh, out of that um, connected world and the economic development world, I was fortunate to partner up and, uh, and be part of NextEd where we're really driving a, a difference in training and upskilling workers within that intelligent transportation and kind of the world of autonomy, not from, we're not training engineers to go design you know, ADAS systems and cars. What we're doing is is training the autonomous technicians that are going to be maintaining those systems and more importantly, kind of the infrastructure systems around it. So, you know, it's a quick background, kind of start to finish of how I found myself to be ankle deep in this uh, in this wonderful world of mobility. Interesting, and I, I guess I had seen this uh, on your profile on LinkedIn. I had forgotten we're both we're both lawyers, so I'm guessing that background has served you pretty well as, as well. Yeah, you know, don't hold it against me. Uh, I'm trying not to. I am trying. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but being an attorney, I'll be honest with you, it, it, in this world, because some of the issues of, around autonomous fall to policy and legal issues that, you know, just having kind of that training that has a mindset of, are we really thinking about the, the liability ramifications of what we're trying to do here? And in some settings, it gives me an advantage. In other settings, people are like, okay, you're an attorney. We get it. You know, so it's, um, but I think it served me well over the years. For sure. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, so yeah, let's, uh, let's see here. Let's dive into a bit of a chat then on connectivity generally. I guess let's start sort of high level and I guess to kick it off and then we can kind of drill down and sort of a deeper dive. But I guess the first kind of high level question to kick things off is there seems, at least based on what I've read, what I've heard talking with others, there seems to be a bit of a debate insofar as just how, um, I guess, crucial a connected world really will be for autonomous cars, especially as it relates to 5G. The question really being, is it, um, is it truly necessary to have this sort of connectivity, meaning vehicle to vehicle, vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to whatever, or is it really more of a nice to have? Well, you know, that, that's one of the key questions going forward, certainly. But, you know, that's been a question out there now, Mark, for you know, five to seven years, really, kind of the, the first foundations of adaptive systems that are now kind of blending themselves into these autonomous vehicle platforms. And it's great for me because here in the Michigan market, I can watch the, the Cadillacs and the Waymos and some of the others that are out there driving driverless right now. But, you know, to your point, the automotive industry, particularly the GMs and Fords of the world, you know, they're looking and saying, as, as, as we argue for connectivity based upon a DSRC kind of safety platform, they're like, listen, our cars won't need that intersection. We won't need that signalization. Right. The whole purpose of full autonomy is to get rid of, rid of kind of the, the fixtures that create human errors and, to be honest with you, machine errors, too. I mean, you're going to have to have fail-safe sensor technologies, um, you know, going forward. And so, you know, to that end, the automotive companies really believe that, that at some point in the future they can bypass connectivity so that you wouldn't have to have 
you know, that outside influence. Here's the challenge with all of that, Mark, is that is you can't get to autonomous level driving unless you have connectivity to begin with. There's no, there's no jump you can make that throws you into full autonomy that you won't have to have that signalization, that you won't have to have, you know, pedestrian monitoring. You won't, you won't have to have those things because the, whether it's 5G or DSRC or some 7G that's way beyond your, your and my lifetimes, I guess, is you're going to have at least initially that ramp up that, that when you get into level three and four autonomous vehicles, you have to have that modicum of connectivity because there's not a policy environment for it. And so to me, it's, it's yes, long-term, there is no need for connectivity, but in the short term, it's kind of a must have if you want to really advance the technology. So, but yeah, so it sounds like you think that it's a must have um, for certainly for the foreseeable future, but just to be clear, you think it's a must have sort of indefinitely as well, because I guess one could make the argument that, you know, if you extend autonomy to its logical conclusion, then the cars should be good enough kind of on their own. The somewhat tongue in cheek analogy, of course, is we humans aren't connected to anything, but we drive reasonably well ish. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, Occasionally. Sometimes you, haven't, you haven't seen me at the, at the gym lately. <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it's, it's a matter of, of, of the, the, the pace at which the technology can be you know, kind of absorbed into the marketplace. And, mm -hmm. and I'm the first to say that, that uh, even what we're doing here at NextEd is, you know, it becomes obsolete at some point. I mean, you know, the idea that we're going to have a visual signalization that would have base connectivity out there that, that, would, that would drive things is really is we're, we're, not, we're not looking at the technology for its, for its full potential. And so, yeah, longer term, you know, full autonomous environments would, would be completely accident-free because you'd be, you'd be unable to crash vehicles into vehicles. You'd be unable to, to run things over right, exactly. because the sensor technology will continue to advance. And so do you need connectivity? Part of it, I guess, is the definition of connectivity. Can a, can a vehicle exist in a world that, that it's not receiving some type of, of radio signal out of another vehicle or an object? It's hard to say, you know, the platforms at, at Google and Tesla seem to think that they can do more optic object, you know, object detection and the people at GM think it's more DSRC sensor based. It's hard to say, but the bottom line of your question is, yeah, within the future, there's going to be a full autonomous world where connectivity really becomes more of the Betamax of, uh, of this whole world. Ha, huh, good analogy. Interesting. All right. I'm with you there. We actually did have the first Betamax when I was a kid growing up. Still have it. Had it actually until recently. <laughs> Finally failed. Um, interesting. All right. So I had a thought. I lost it. Um, I want to come back to your comment about fail safes uh, in a moment. But um, I guess let's uh, let's dive into. Oh, well, actually, sorry, just a quick comment about uh, connectivity generally. I mean, right now, I guess the only vehicles on the road are the Mercedes E-Class, I think the 2018 E-Class. So <laughs> is it safe to say that no two E-Classes have yet collided with each other? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that I've heard of it. Well, there you, you know, go then, it, I guess, it, success. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you know, for, for me, Mark, you have to understand, you know, I, I put my hat on as to where my, my strengths are, which is, which is, you know, how do we design a network that preserves, you know, public safety, potentially generates the monetization of the spectrum that's, that's you know, I, I always look at it as right now DSRC is here today, 5G is not here today, right? And mm -hmm. so, you know, can we do a DSRC-based network that provides SPAT signals and provides basic connectivity within an environment that keeps people and, and, and drivers safe and vehicles safe and at the same time try to monetize it? So you have to understand, you know, when I, when I look at connectivity, 
I'm thinking of connectivity in, in the world of where does it exist in May of 2019 and what can we do with it? You know, how fast can we deploy things that will accelerate the adoption of this technology? And for me, it comes down to right now, we've got the ability to make things really, really safe. You know, we, can, we, could, we could outfit and put sensors in intersections that would be SPAT-based, you know, signal phase and timing based that will allow us to prevent red light um, intersection crashes. And through that, we would prevent injuries. And when you prevent injuries, you prevent deaths. And so for me, I get excited around the idea that connectivity allows for that. Um, and sometimes we get a little caught up and all the OEMs around here in my neighborhood are all kind of caught up in how fast can we get to autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, could we start with connectivity? Because, you know, 41,000 lives killed last year is a few too many for me. Yeah. So, you know, I just put my hat on around that of like, you know, how do we build a network that can take advantage of it now and then would upgrade itself into that full autonomy in the future? Sure. Well, that's a perfect segue. Then I want to come back to this later, this notion of what comes first, sort of chicken, egg, horse, cart, et cetera. But let's kind of run over what you just discussed a moment ago. So DSRC, if I'm not mistaken, that's effectively running in at least portion of the band that's said to be set aside for 5G, correct? And my question is, therefore, um, a lot of sort of interesting thoughts about 5G, not least of which it's susceptibility to interference and therefore much shorter range. So the big question becomes, we can't even get 4G coverage everywhere. How are we supposed to get 5G coverage everywhere? Well, you know, and certainly you go up into Canada, which I live in the only place you have to drive south to go to Canada in, in the United oh, States. That so, should be Detroit, um, right? Yeah, a little extra trivia for you there. But you know, listen, you go up into Canada, I do a lot of work up in Montreal, and they're still at 3G in Montreal and you go into mm -hmm. most of Europe right now is still at a 3G level. But to your question on spectrum, you know, you have to really be careful. And I'm going to advocate here, tell you right up front, I'm an advocate for both DSRC and 5G. I'm an advocate for 6G. I mean, you know, the, the continued growth of the generational advancements of, 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 of broadband and, and connectivity is, is super, super important as we go right. for, you know, artificial intelligence, all those things, right? So what I'm about to say is not arguing really one or the other, but I will say that the 5.9 gigahertz that has been allocated to the DSRC network, which is now more than 30 years, you know, that's really allocated towards DSRC. And here's one, one of the aspects that you get out of that 5.9 is the whole automotive industry for 30 plus years has built its technology around utilizing that 5.9 gig band in a DSRC basis. And can they convert quickly over to 5G? You know, sure they can, but when you go to companies like Denso and, and Next here and some of the others that have have the sensor technologies that are going to integrate through onboard units and you know out into the out into the world around it, whether it's another vehicle or a stop sign, um, you know they built all of that technology around it, and so it really poses this big this big question of, you know, is is five G going to be so good that a multi billion dollar industry is going to change on a dime once the first launch gets started? So that's my first point. My second point is. You know, 5G is wonderful, but it only works on microcell deployment. And this right. gets back to my intro of when I built cellular networks for 15 years in the, in the 90s and 2000s before people knew what a cell phone was. Mm -hmm. And remember that, you know, the iPhone's only, what, 10 years old, 11 years old? So mm -hmm. I was back when they had, had bag phones and, you know, giant blocks and Motorola flips and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, to build a network that's going to allow 5G to work, you would have to have microcells about every 300 meters. And the, the cost deterrent of trying to put in a system that would run that microcell network because the latency is and the and the and the, the spectrum life is it, it's just Mark it's just it's 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 an immense undertaking and so you know that's why I always really 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 come to come to bear with you know DSRC is a proven safety technology let's develop 5G so that we can layer in 
you know, dual chip type technologies within all of our, 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 our vehicles and our infrastructure and go after that consumer driven telematics that's going to create, you know, this, this much broader environment for autonomy and leave DSRC to the sensors so that the Cadillac doesn't run into the Mercedes. Got it. So before we dive deeper into 5G, then, um, just for listeners' sakes, not all of them may be totally familiar with the current applications of DSRC generally. Can you give sort of a 30-second soundbite on some obvious use cases that we may or may not be aware of? Yeah, you know, I mean, DSRC right now, because it, you know, it has 10 microbursts per second, it, 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 it works really fast, right, the latency. So right now, a, a DSRC technology would be a um, would be a, a front-end collision avoidance scenario. So if you're, and it's adaptive cruise control in a lot of cars that we have now, right? And so if you've got, if you've got front-end collision sensoring, those are usually based on DSRC sensors that are going to send out a signal. They're going to detect an object, or they're going to detect, more importantly, another radio unit, um, and you're going to get crash avoidance because the, you're not you're not going to be allowed to do it. So that's a real vehicle. The vehicle from a vehicle to infrastructure. You know, you're looking at, at, you know, DSRC being able to be used for um, probe vehicle data that comes out of the car to have immediate response time. I'll give you one quick example of where it's really cool. So if you have here in Michigan um, um, vehicle data that is an accelerometer, which is your wheel spinning, right? You know, so when your wheel spins and it's not supposed to be spinning that fast, yep. you get a data message. And then here in Michigan, it's either a pothole or it's ice. And so the ability to put a roadside unit out there that captures that DSRC snow that says, Every car's accelerator is going off. It allows us as public officials to respond quicker. And so there's real just base core little fundamentals and all that stuff's here. And then here in Michigan, we've got probably about 300, almost 350 miles of DSRC based test bed where they're doing validations where they can do geo positioning of the vehicle. But more importantly, they're getting that basic safety messaging out of that vehicle and they're doing a backhaul to data. And then now they're at the point of, well, what do we do with the data? So we know what's happening kind of thing. So, Hopefully that was 30 seconds. I always talk too much, Mark. No, that, that was awesome. So actually, I didn't know a lot of that. I didn't even realize that was live right now as, as a thing. And frankly, uh, without getting too much into it, then I'm sure you're pretty familiar with what the folks over at Here Technologies are doing. This sounds like something they'd be super uh, excited to learn about and frankly, probably work with you guys on. I mean, uh, it's, it's very on point. Well, here's a, you know, the, 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 as a company doing great things. And for your listeners that don't know here, you know, is a, is a, started out as a big mapping company and they've really advanced into this intelligent transportation world, you know. You know, I was actually I, lucky to be invited by them to moderate some of their talks at CES. We did yeah. a lot of nice segments on them, actually. That's why I, was, that's why I kind of perked up when oh, you cool. described cool, cool. what you yeah, were describing no, good, the man. sensors. <laughs> we, we, did a, we did a pilot when, um, when the ITS World Congress came to Detroit four years ago. We, we did a pilot here where we proved with the help of here and um, a handful of other companies, Pax Grid out of Montreal and, and a couple others, we were able to show that we could geoposition a vehicle um, bilaterally, meaning we could put two cellular signals out. T-Mobile T helped us with this. And this kind of like is the pre-5G, right? So we used mm. DSRC because that's what was there, but we were able to put two cell signals out and prove that we could geoposition a vehicle um, based on those two signals. And here was really instrumental in giving us a lot of the softwares around the mapping and the positioning technologies. But, you know, that was four years ago. Was it four years? It might have been five years ago, four years ago. And you think now where the technology is today. But that basic concept of can you use spectrum that allows you to identify the, the positioning of a vehicle is, is what 5G is really arguing for, right? It's like, well, we can do that and we can layer in all of this 
commercial aspect and the infotainment aspects and the speed at which you can download data. It's really, it's a dynamic thing. And here's kind of right in the, right in the midst of it. Sure. It makes sense. So yeah, let, let's talk then about uh, 5G itself specifically. A few points I just wanted to ask you about. Uh, so going back to the issue, actually you already kind of touched on the issue of coverage, but then, so I remember one of the first killer apps I had read about years ago for 5G and precisely because of really the latency issue being the real selling point rather than just the overall speed, <clears throat> excuse me, was in medical applications. I remember the Da Vinci surgical machine was said to be a prime candidate because you obviously don't want any latency uh, when doing some surgery. Obviously it makes sense to assume you want minimal latency for remote autonomous applications as well. Um, I've, I've heard it said that one way to help the, solve the coverage issue is with satellites. Um, but even non-geosynchronous satellites are still at 500 kilometers or so. So you're still going to end up with, if my math is right, something like three milliseconds round trip latency, which is pretty good, but it's not the promised one millisecond. So that's a kind of a whole bunch of angles. I'm kind of throwing this question at you insofar as coverage, latency, killer app, necessity for autonomous vehicles, and so on. I'm just going to let you run with all that. <laughs> yeah, so you... You, you talk like an engineer too, so that's good. <laughs> well, yeah. thanks. You know, two, two attorneys talking like engineers. There we go. Love it. You know, listen. The, you know, the, the 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 big question for five G. I'll be honest. With you, even beyond all those points you're making, I'll address a few of them here in a second. Is 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 the validation and testing that it can have the latency that would be required by um, federal highway and um, you know the gang of merry folks out there in D.C. that are going to allow it to be an on road. Um, safety application that would engage driver assist systems in a vehicle. And that's the mm -hmm. big question is when, it, when is it going to be in a position that they can start to validate whether, whether you, you can use it in a, in an on-road environment? You know, I hate to say it, but those, those types of environments take years and years and years and years to do. And so, you know, right out of the box, whether it has the latency or not is when's it ever going to get through the testing environment so that it can, it can be layered into a vehicle to engage in some of the things you're saying. The only reason you worry about latency in an autonomous vehicle standpoint is in, is in crash avoidance. It's really the only, the only thing you're worried about yep. is, is, or, is, or maybe remote know, driving it, as well. No. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Remote driving. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you get into those, into those rural areas. I mean, there, there's a lot of different applications, but from like my, last, last you know, mile applications, I'm thinking. Yeah. Last mile, all those things. I mean, it's, you know, the, the Columbus smart city pilots that they, they won the grant a couple of years ago. That was, that is, I should say, one of the big focuses of how do you get last mile, um, you know, out of it, you know, but the, but for me, the latency, if you're talking three milliseconds, here, even if you're talking a second of latency, as long as it's not in a position where it's trying to engage my, right. my ADAS system, that's going to engage yep. my braking system in a whiteout condition here in Michigan or yep. in the fog down in Tennessee or in whatever you all get out there in California, a mudslide or whatever. It is. Well, we used to get a lot of fog, but yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You know, realistically, you know, two years ago at CES, I'm talking to Qualcomm and Qualcomm, you know, I know lots of companies do, but they were smart enough at that time to be thinking about 
for roadside equipment and for onboard units and vehicles, whether they be, you know, OEM based or aftermarket based, whatever, whatever it matters. You know, we've got all these great companies, you know, like, um, you know, Savari and, and others that are building these aftermarket products, whatever it is. Here, here, Qualcomm said, we're going to have a chip that allows for 5G connectivity that can either go satellite or through a microcell. And we're going to have another chip that's going to be a DSRC that can talk to your roadside unit that Lear's manufacturing or Siemens is manufacturing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the bottom line of it. And you can have the ability to have technology that are doing core safety, that are taking your, ba- your, your probe vehicle data, your basic safety messaging out of the vehicle, utilizing that for public transportation purposes, for safety or for V2V. And then when it comes to V2I or V2X, when you're getting into the Internet of Things, 5G is going to roll, man. It's all going to be good. My argument is you really need to make room for both because the adoption of 5G is a safety protocol, not because of its latency, but because of the testing protocol before it's going to be uh, deemed safe for the roadway from a regulatory compliance standpoint. It's just sure. too far out, right? Gotcha. And so, you know, for me, it's it's a, you know, it's a, you know, have your cake and another piece of cake. It just be expected to really try to do both. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's companies out there that, that aren't doing both and they should be both here at, here at next education. We're, you know, we're, we're training not on choosing the technology level people and hire on how do you, you understand how the adaptive systems get built and how they get upgraded on an annualized basis as this technology advances so that, so that the worker can be ready so that they put in one technology that they're like, yeah, but I'm going to do this in a way that's going to layer into 5G when that gets ready, or it's going to layer into the next technology. And so we're training around the kind of the concept of operation standpoint and not simply here's what a camera does or here what, here's what a sensor does. It's more that whole conceptual flow of what a system does. So it could be 5G DRSSC. You know, our, our participants in our training programs, they shouldn't really care if they're telling me the truth because they're really talking about how the system's going to work. Gotcha. Makes sense. Well, assuming uh, you've got a hard stop at 1.30, we've got five minutes. I want to juggle a few, uh, two, two remaining topics in particular. I'll let you decide how you'd like to allocate your time. Um, let's see. But just one quick thing I have to ask you as a favor, can you please give a 20 second soundbite on the safety of 5G to silence everybody once and for all that, oh my goodness, it's gonna turn us into the next generation of X-Men. <laughs> and go. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, the, the safety of 5G, you know, it, the, as, a, as a straight safety feature, we're only talking about, about point-to-point communications. No, 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 I mean, no, no, I mean safety with respect to, our, is 5G radiation scary stuff going to oh, turn everybody into oh, mutants? Oh, gosh, no, gosh, no, 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 no. Here, here's, the, here's the 20 seconds. Yes, please. That, I mean, because um, I've tried countless times, but I want you to do it. <laughs> you know, we, we have had, we have had um, spectrum-based technologies in and around us as human beings for almost 100 years. Uh, and none of them have been substantially shown to have any adverse effect on health, except for the user that decides that they're going to implant those next to their ear for hours and hours and hours at a time. So 5G is, has no appreciable effect on your health or anything else. So it has an appreciable effect on your quality of life because you're going to get download speeds that keep your kids happy in the back seat faster. <laughs> well said. All right. Awesome. So, so yeah, here's the two uh, topics I wanted to dive into briefly. And this Kind of does actually, it is a strange but related segue, I think you'll see to this discussion on connectivity. There's a lot of discussion, obviously, with respect to rolling out autonomous vehicles in geofenced areas. Um, at least for me, and I'm guessing for a lot of people, whenever they hear that, oh, there's some cool new pod car being tested somewhere. Oh, by the way, it just works in a geofenced office park. And then sort of people lose interest. Um, and I, I was thinking about this um, 
in the last couple of weeks. I thought, you know, when you think about it, uh, you know, here in San Francisco and many cities elsewhere, you've got these buses that run on overhead electrical wires. Um, and you've obviously got trains worldwide. Those are effectively geofenced. Nobody ever said, oh, gosh, look how limiting that is. So, so I guess well, I'll, I, give you, I'll give you a better example. You want, all right, you want a better example there? All right. So have you been to Milan before? I've in stayed Italy? there for a night. <laughs> so. All right. So if you go to Milan in the core downtown of their historic area downtown, you hit a certain spot where um, taxis and other vehicles are not allowed. Does it, does it ruin my experience in going to Milan? No, <laughs> I just know that I've got to get in a different transportation system. That I works. can still, still go see the Duomo. There you right? go. Sure. And so in, 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 particularly starting in urban areas that, you know, the ability to adopt this from a societal standpoint is going to be a policy one. It's going to be a community that really wants to be cutting edge, not just like the talking points cutting edge, but really gets it really understands. It's not just about putting electric charging stations and smart buses out there, but really understands that we're going to take core areas and we're going to change them so that they become autonomous only, or they become some facet of that. And so you'll just know as a consumer that I want to get to that area because it's super cool. And when I get there, I got to park my car and I got to ride the autonomous shuttle or I have to have an autonomous car. So is I agree with all that completely. But, but here's why I'm asking you. The point of connectivity is mm -hmm. this, is that rather than saying, oh, you know, it's going to be a long haul until we get properly full level five cars everywhere and this, that, the other, and then we need connectivity. What if we just sort of say, hey, let's not worry about making L5 cars work everywhere. What if we just start with, let's make a bunch of dedicated AV only lanes in cities, so effectively geofenced to specific roads. That then will allow us to get autonomous vehicles more places more quickly. And oh, by the way, I would think that connectivity issues would be, well, less of an issue at that point because they will be properly geofenced to those particular stretches of road. Yeah, you, you must have read some of my prior work on how we could monetize a connected vehicle, autonomous vehicle infrastructure. I mean, can you imagine huh. if you made, if you took the high occupancy lane, you know, concepts that never work. <laughs> so um, I've been saying this forever. Changed, yep. Yep. Yeah. You change that dynamic that I can be in that lane if I'm either a connected or a level four or above yep. autonomous vehicle, which are really easy. The packets, yep. that, that the individualized packets are you know, going to be registered into a roadside unit. I mean, it's really easy to track that. Use exist, existing toll technologies to catch violators and then make it really penalizing, yep. you know, make it a $400 ticket. To oh, yeah. rock, right. Um, you know, to utilize those technologies and then make it so that your, you know, your geofence area is, is limiting, meaning yep. we're only going to let 5,000 cars drive on that southbound lane and I-75. So those that's taking an hour and 20 minutes to get to work every day, you could get it there in 36 minutes. If you just subscribed into that lane yep. and then more and more people, now it's going to be two lanes. Now it's going to be three lanes. And eventually all of I-75 <laughs> becomes a, a connected autonomous freeway instead of a manual freeway, forcing manual traffic on the outside. Um, I'll be honest with you, Mark. They did the same thing in New York City in the early 1900s where they had to outlaw the delivery of goods and you know people and goods from, from buggies and horses because there was just too much chaos. Yeah, yeah. It took a few years and then all of a sudden it was only vehicles. I mean, it, it, it's a they, they just didn't want to deal with the horse droppings anymore. The horse manure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, this yeah, is neat. Yeah. I mean, I've been saying the same thing for, for countless episodes as well. So it's nice to hear you, uh, to hear us echo each other on this point. Um, in a couple of minutes remaining then, uh, I said earlier that you had discussed the thing about fail safe generally. I wanted to bounce this potentially huge, crazy idea off you. I've been saying for quite a few months now that I think eventually autonomous vehicles are going to need an FAVA, the Federal Autonomous Vehicle Administration. Um, to your point about fail-safes with respect to standardizations of, well, 
all the things and making sure we've got proper duple, double, triple, even quadruple backups as needed, et cetera. In the same way that we learned how the FAA and I guess internationally, the IOTA and IACO, I suppose, uh, helped standardize and make air travel so safe to where it is today. What do you think, just off the top of your head, theoretically, do you agree or not that it would make sense to have an FAVA? Well, I, I 100% agree, but it's got a, a little quid pro quo provisio, whatever those terms are. <laughs> here's, here's, here's the provisio on, on, on 100% agreement is it's where you start it. It's where, it's where it comes from. And so a few of us have been advocating in the, in the ITS world around DSRC connectivity and that back to the, the previous you know, response on trying to monetize something is if you can develop a, a standards-based you know, kind of intergovernmental, interlocal agreement with, with those entities that would be responsible and, uh, you know, for and, and, and would, would assist in the deployment of all of this, and then take it to a legislative body and say, listen, we've already got this all set. We just need you to codify it into an authority. Then you're a home run. If you go the other way and you go and you ask your, your government officials, and trust me, I've been a government official. I just got out of that world this past year. Um, and so I'm banging on myself when I say this, but you're, you're, you're not going to get, you're not going to get substantively anywhere. And so I love your idea. I'm a hundred percent behind it, but it has to be driven by the private sector and a public private partnership with a local region where you get local governmental leaders that are saying, I'm going to bypass my state and federal legislature for now. And then we're going to create the world's model on this. And then you go up there and you say, Hey, can you make this an authority and kind of pin them down to it? Um, going forward, then I think it's a home run. And the reason it's a home run is how do you create interoperable standards between Denver and Columbus? Bingo. Exactly. You have to have a standards body that allows you to do it. And my only advocacy is set the standards first out of the technology and kind of that vision that comes through it, and then go talk to the politicians about how you make it permanent. Yep. Agreed. It makes sense. And unless I'm mistaken, there should be an easy tie-in to federal authority anyway. You could easily loop in interstate commerce clause to find authority, right? I mean, even Absolutely. if cars stay Absolutely. in state, they're certainly traveling across state or being produced out of states. So that's a pretty no-brainer, right? Absolutely. Comple- yeah. Completely cool. agree. And, and, you know, things like the, the Mackinac Bridge Authority or the Ambassador Bridge Authority here in Michigan, uh, that were, those were two projects that they decided how to build it and what was going to happen and who was going to pay for it. And then they went and said, well, the easiest thing now is now that we know what we're doing, we'll put an authority on top of it. It's a brilliant move. And all that stuff got done. I think it works the same in your idea. And I, I think it's a great idea. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Matthew, thanks so much for your time. It's been pretty swell having you on the show. Really great chatting with you. If I can ever help, you know where to find me. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Take care. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, well, that's a wrap for today and indeed for this week. Again, please don't forget to check out my full 19-minute video review of Tesla's Model 3 with Enhanced Autopilot. Again, you can find it by going to YouTube and just searching for Autonomous Hogue. And while you're there, please go ahead and subscribe to my channel as well for two reasons. One, because I need 71 more subscribers in order to get a dedicated URL, youtube.com slash Autonomous Hogue, because of course. And two, because as soon as Tesla rolls out Autopilot Hardware version 3, which is anticipated in the next several months, 
you can be sure I'll be doing an update to the video with an all-new review, and by subscribing, you can be the first to know about it. So, without further ado, thanks so much again for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. Until next week, bye-bye. Hey there, just a friendly reminder, if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave me five stars on iTunes, and don't forget to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue.